Welcome to the podcast channel of the East Bay Unity Intergroup of Overeaters Anonymous. The opinions expressed here are those of individual members and do not represent OA as a whole. For more information about our intergroup, please visit our website at eastbayoa.org. Hi, good morning. I'm Doris. <laughs> I'm a compulsive overeater, and I'm glad to be asked to speak at this meeting. I I am, I'm kind of sleepy this morning, but here we are. <laughs> I'm up and at them, I'm ready. Um, so talking about Tradition 10, I had a couple things on my mind. Um, I wanted to read a little bit from the AA 12 and 12 and, um, and discuss the nature of compulsion. What is compulsion? And um, that's probably gonna be the topic. So maybe you can think about whether or not you're compulsive about food or anything else. I don't know, I am. So, um, so tradition 10, I'm going to read it. It's not very long. It's, it's in the AA 12 and 12. So um, Alcoholics Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence the A, oh, sorry, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence the name ought never be drawn into public controversy. That's our tradition. And we borrow it word for word from AA. Um, never since it began has Alcoholics Anonymous been divided into major controversial issues nor has our fellowship ever publicly taken sides on any question in, in an embattled world. This, however, has been no earned virtue. It could almost be said that we were born with it, for as one old-timer recently declared, practically never have I heard a heated religious, political, or reform argument among AA members. So long as we don't argue these matters privately, it's a cinch we never shall publicly. As by some deep instinct, we AAs have known from the very beginning that we must never, no matter what the provocation, publicly take sides in any fight, even a worthy one. All history affords us the spectacle of striving nations and groups finally torn asunder because they were designed, because they were designed or tempted into controversy. Others fell apart because of sheer self-righteousness while trying to enforce upon the rest of mankind some millennium of their own specification. In our own times, we have seen millions die in political and economic wars, often spurred by religious or racial difference. We live in an imminent possibility of a fresh Holocaust to determine how men shall be governed and how the products of nature and toil shall be divided among them. That is the spiritual climate in which AA was born and by God's grace has nevertheless flourished. Let us reemphasize that this reluctance to fight one another or anybody else is not counted as some special virtue which makes us feel superior to other people, nor does it mean that the members of Alcoholics Anonymous, now restored as citizens of the world, are going to back away from their individual responsibilities to act as they see the, the right, as, uh, to act as they see the right upon issues of our time. But when it comes to AA as a whole, this is, that's quite a different matter. In this respect, we do not enter into public controversy because we know that our society will perish if it does. We conceive the survival and spread of Alcoholics Anonymous to be something of far greater importance than the weight we could collectively throw back of any other cause. Since recovery from alcoholism is life itself to us, it's imperative that we preserve in full strength our means of survival. Maybe this sounds as though the alcoholics in AA had suddenly gone peaceable and become one great big happy family. Of course, this isn't so at all. Human beings that we are, we squabble. 
Before we leveled off a bit, AA looked more like one prodigious squabble than anything else, at least on the surface. A corporation director who had just voted a company expenditure of $100,000 would appear at an AA business meeting and blow his top over an outlay of $25 worth of needed postage stamps. Disliking the attempt of some to manage the group, a group, half its membership might angrily rush off to form another group more to their liking. Elders temporarily turned, Pharisees have sulked. Bitter attacks have been directed against people suspected of mixed motives. Despite their din, our puny rows never did AA a particle of harm. They were just part and parcel of learning to work and live together. Let it be noted too, that they were almost always concerned with ways to make AA more effective, how to do the most good for the most alcoholics. The Washingtonian Society, a movement among alcoholics, which started in Baltimore a century ago, almost discovered the answer to alcoholism. At first, the society was composed entirely of alcoholics trying to help one another. And the early members foresaw that they should dedicate themselves to this sole aim. In many respects, the Washingtonians were akin to AA of today. Their membership passed the 100,000 mark. Had they been left to themselves and had they stuck to their one goal, they might have found the rest of the answer. But this didn't happen. And instead, the Washingtonians permitted po politicians and reformers, both alcoholic and non-alcoholic, to use the society for their own purposes. The abolition of slavery, for example, was a stormy political issue then. And soon, Washingtonian speakers violently and publicly took sides on the question. Maybe the society could have survived the abolition controversy, but it didn't have a chance from the moment it determined to reform America's drinking habits. When the Washingtonians became temperance crusaders, within a very few years, they had completely lost their effectiveness in helping alcoholics. The lesson to be learned from the Washingtonians was not overlooked by Alcoholics Anonymous. As we surveyed the wreck of that movement, early AA members resolved to keep our society out of public controversy. Thus was laid the cornerstone for Tradition 10. Alcoholics Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the AA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Um, so, um, obviously this isn't an AA meeting, this is an OA meeting, so I hope you can translate the, the see that the same issues affect our fellowship and that fellowship, and um, um, I've also found that personally there's a way that boundaries have always been an issue for me in my life, and in that eating has always been something that I did to cope with other people um, and my lack of boundaries around them. This, this um, tradition is really important to me. I've really needed the help of you and meetings and literature to understand what is an outside issue and what is an inside issue. I never really knew that. Um, I also am a person of a lot of opinions. So I might think I know what the group should do, I'm not likely to tell an individual what to do, but I, I could, I have certainly had opinions about what people should do. But when it comes to groups and motivating them, I do, I'm a person who develops an idea, it should be done this way. For example, I personally believe that Zoom is bad for overeaters because it's isolating. Is it also good for people that are isolated? 100%, I'm right, I'm wrong, you know? It, it's just understanding that my opinion is my opinion. And as a person who can go to meetings, I make physical meetings, I make a point of doing that. But there's also plenty of room in a way for other people to do what works for them. 
because other people have different needs than me. Everybody doesn't need to do what I want to do for myself. And if I sit in judgment of other people, then I suffer, we all suffer, and the fellowship suffers because then everybody's isolated. You know, just making making room for other people that what people want to do is really an outside issue. How they want to meet, how they want to do the steps. There's like a thousand things that are out more than a thousand things that are outside of my concerns. And another thing I used to do in order to deal with my compulsion was be preoccupied with other people. Most of my life, I chose one or two people, my mother, my husband, boyfriends at the time, certainly friends, things like that, whose needs got super big, you know? And I, and I had this fantasy, it was like a kind of denial, like if I could manage their needs, then I would be okay. And that, the way that played out with my food was that if they were hungry, I ate. If they didn't have money, I shared my food. It was always about what would make them happy. What do they want to eat? You know, and it's time to eat. I'm hungry, but I don't want to tell anybody. So I might get grouchy. You know, I, I don't want to be perceived as um, being uptight. Why are you so uptight that you need to eat lunch? What's wrong with you? You know, that's how I felt like the world was going to judge me. Like I wake up hungry. Not everybody does. Like, there's actually nothing wrong with that. That's just me, you know, but I felt like, well, if you don't wake up hungry, then I should change myself in order to be like you because I needed to do that. And that lack of boundary has really hurt me in my lifetime because it, it makes other people, they play God to me in the moment. Everything they want is more important than me. And it's also the most important thing in the world. And that kind of chronic codependence has fed deeply and truly and forcefully into my compulsion around food because we all know that food is delicious who doesn't want to eat more of the delicious thing but why would I need to I mean okay I'm just going to read the definition of compulsion and maybe there's a couple here there's compulsion and then compulsive and I just want to hear your thoughts on on that later. So uh, this is from the um, American Heritage Dictionary. Um, compulsion, the act of compelling, the state of being compelled, an irresistible impulse to act regardless of the rationality of the motivation. Uh, an act or acts performed in response to such an impulse and then compulsive, having the capacity to compel like a frightening compulsive novel psychologically uh, caused or conditioned by compulsion or obsession. A person and a, compuls a compulsive person would be, oh, a compulsive would be a person with behavior patterns governed by a compulsion. So isn't it interesting that in our fellowship, like that's the first word of that's how we define ourselves as compulsive about food. And um, I've had a few experiences, not a ton, but a few really, to me, were really terrible experiences of my own compulsivity, where I determined one thing and I couldn't do it. Uh, not more than that, like the, the, the moment where I feel like I, I took whatever it was that I was doing, coping, dieting, pretending I was fine with my weight, whatever I was doing, it turned a corner. And I feel like I became aware suddenly of how deeply compulsive I was and am capable of being. Um, and the reason why I mentioned that is I feel like one reason why we protect our society 
by keeping outside issues out is, is that we need protection. We need the comfort and the protection of the fellowship. We need a place where we can go where it's safe. And so we use these, these traditions protect us. And they also provide us with help for a very serious problem, which is compulsion. And what happened was that, um, uh, this is many years ago, before I came to OA, and I hadn't thought about it until I did my food history when I came in. Um, I did one of those uh, uh, or organized fasts through the hospital where you don't eat for many weeks and then they reintroduce food and being wanting to please the leaders of the group, I did a great job of it. And then as they started reintroducing food back into it, I had this experience of being utterly incapable of stopping. And this experience terrified me. I don't know how I stopped. I, I gained like 11 pounds in two weeks or something. Uh, I just remember eating a whole bag of this and a whole bag of that and just being like, I gotta stop, but I couldn't stop. And uh, somehow, somehow, I stopped and developed some cockamamie plan about how I was gonna just cope with whatever it was that happened next. And I did for a long time. I didn't eat breakfast, I smoked cigarettes, I drank a lot of coffee, I had like one meal late in the day. Um, and that worked for a pretty long time to keep my weight at about where I am now. But it was built out of the fear of that compulsion that it's gonna come back, it's gonna get me. So then I think I started feeling like, what can I do in the face of this terrible problem? And um, even reflecting upon that is painful for me. Um, I, I came into OA because I experienced some of that. I was, I, I had a child and I gained a lot of weight. I way more than the doctor said I should. I gained 65 pounds or something. And I was terrified that I was just, that my grandmother Celia was gonna burst out of my body and I was just gonna stay there. Like, I feel like genetically I have this desire. My body wants to be as big as my grandma, you know? And she was really very, very fat and it was very dangerous for her and very shameful for her. And that's how my cousin is in New York, who I saw recently. And those two women and all the men around them who had diabetes and all the foods that we would eat and all the everything are a lot of why I'm in OA. Because I don't want to have diabetes. I don't want to be obese. And I don't want to have my legs cut off. And I don't want to go blind. And I'm not saying it's going to happen to me. I grew up in California. I drink a lot of water. You know, <laughs> I don't live in New York City. But the, I feel like compulsion has many parts and some of it is this like genetic, historic part of ourselves that we can't even see. We don't even know what's impacting us. And for me, it's a little bit easier in a way to see the weight problem than it is to see the compulsive codependence towards other people, the wanting to please them, the forgetting, okay, the forgetting that, that I don't have any power over them. And it sort of seems, I suppose, trivial now because I've been abstinent quite a while, but having a food plan 
that involves like meal times and making my own decisions about food and not choosing food that makes me sick um, and finding a way to be flexible with other people, but at the same time making the right choices for me is a miracle because I'm compulsive. <laughs> Again, not just about the food. Um, I ate in a restaurant yesterday. I was, I had a plan in the morning. My husband and I worked together and he uh, randomly at a different time than I thought I would eat said he was hungry. And before I even know it, I'm like, oh, sure, let's go eat. It wasn't my mealtime, but I get to eat lunch, you know? And he chose a restaurant that I usually don't choose. But still there I was saying, oh, sure, anything you want. That's bullshit. You didn't, get, it's, that's just me lying. I'm like, oh, okay, sure. So then we're at a restaurant where I usually can't find the right thing. Luckily they changed the menu and I found something and I was able to say, hey, no cheese and don't use this and whoa. And I had a delicious lunch sitting there with him and it was fine. But that's the kind of treacherous road that I'm on <laughs> where I, I know the boundary, but I walk right through it <laughs> into your needs and what you want and how good it feels to be wanted by you in the moment and the deal, like maybe he'll be in a good mood if I act nice, or maybe, you know, maybe we'll talk about this thing and get something accomplished. None of that has to do with me and my needs. But OA has helped me understand that there's outside issues. And as long as I keep coming back and I keep trying to take care of myself based on what I understand to be reasonable, healthy, self-care ideas. And if I pray and meditate in order to have the willingness to do those things, that help for compulsion is here for me. And that's what I really need is I need to not to, not to be blind to these compulsions towards other people and not to find myself alone with something where I have to eat all of it, where I don't care anymore about my size or my health. And I just get the buckets because that happens too. Um, I, I, I feel like I probably always needed to be in LA ever since I was little, um, ever since I was born, but I wasn't ready until I was ready. And um, I, when I was ready, I was desperate. And I feel like that, that gift desperation um, is something I just don't lose sight of. So I read the AA literature. I believe that our, our situation is just as dire and help is available through the fellowship. And I don't wanna do anything, thank you. I don't wanna do anything to hurt the fellowship. I wanna trust these traditions and respect them and make room for other people. Um, so, just for today, I'm going to go on with my life. I exercised a little bit. I drank my, I woke up hungry. I ate my breakfast. I'm going to wait and have lunch at lunchtime. I'll have dinner at dinner time. In the meantime, I'm going to say yes when I mean yes and no when I mean no and try not to turn myself into a pretzel for other people because that is, I've learned here that that doesn't make any sense. I need to get my own oxygen mask together, take care of myself because this is all I can do is just take care of myself. And that allows me to be as loving and as supportive to other people as I possibly can be. And that's also important to me. So if newcomers came in and that didn't make any sense to you, please keep coming back. <laughs> there's, a lot, there's a lot of meetings and there's a lot of things to talk about. This is just about um, outside issues. And um, for me, other people and their needs and their food are outside issues. And what you should do is an outside issue.
but thank you for being here for me because I definitely need support. Thanks. <laughs>